0: Welcome back to the Touchline Theory Sad Boy Soccer Podcast. Uh, I am indeed a sad boy. This is Martine. Um, it's been a little while since we've hung out and spoken with you all, um, but here we are. Uh, it's been a very eventful last couple of weeks in which we've been dead silent on the mics. Uh, a lot of things moving and shaking, I think, on our ends personally, but also in the, in the football world. So... Before we get into that, Will, uh, I hear you've been doing your best Gareth Bale impression out on the links. Um, how's your driver, how's your putting been in the last couple of weeks since we've last spoken? Um,
1: my, my game has been absolutely horrible. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, as you said, I'm trying to replicate Gareth Bale and become uh, Wales' is not next top golf star. But it's not going so well. Um, I, I hit a shot. Uh, I had a terrible round the last time I played, but I hit a shot. Uh, completely by mistake that skipped uh, three times over a lake and went onto the green. So that was pretty cool. But that's, that's been about the only bright spot in the past couple of weeks. I'm a fellow <laughs> sad boy with Martine, maybe not quite as sad, at least uh, not about this messy situation at least, but yeah, it's been, it's been a busy time. Sorry for abandoning you all. You know, we've been a bit selfish, you know, we've just been thinking about ourselves not thinking about the, dozens hundreds of listeners at home going give me my touchline theory but you know it's back
0: now yeah um i don't know uh we if we were rusty when we were coming off that one or two week uh break i think we're gonna be super rusty this time around so i don't know do we want to go ahead and start with just like general uh societal updates, personal updates.
1: I can do another like really boring golf anecdote if you want to just keep rolling with that. Um, sure. Let's hear it. I'm, I'm kidding. No, it's societal updates. What sort of thing?
0: Well, so, I mean, the thing that I lament most being unable to talk about on this show so far is the fact that a couple of weeks ago, um, Lionel Messi, who is going to be a bit of our catalyst for this episode, generally speaking, uh, went ahead and did what everyone thought was never going to happen. And he won an international tournament. And so I think that'd be one thing that I want to mention. Um, I have a personal relationship with Messi losing international tournaments. Obviously nothing in comparison to his own relationship with all of that. But um, I attended the 2015-2016 Copa America final in East Rutherford, New Jersey, when he skied the penalty over the bar. I was in the stands. That was the first time I'd actually seen leo play um and so i have a bit of scarring uh from his finals that haven't necessarily gone his way i obviously uh very vividly remember watching the 2014 world cup um and that final and watching mario Götze. um ruin my dreams forever and and so this this time around i think every no one expected it um and that's honestly i think one of the beautiful parts i we didn't go into this game being favorites uh brazil was very much seemed like the team that to beat in the tournament Uh, i was lucky enough to catch the game with my younger brother who's now working in new york city and so i went to visit him and we went to a bar, sports bar, camped out there for a few hours, and the game was on. We watched a bunch of uh, Brazilian fans in our near vicinity, you know, yelling and cursing in their faces, and um, it was utterly fantastic. I, I my my phone died right as the game finished, and right as we won, and everybody was was screaming all the Argentines in the bar, and jumping up and down on tables with drinks all spilled all over the place. And so I wasn't able to capture anything but just one picture of myself screaming at the very, very end, um, right before the game ended. But I think that was utterly unbelievable. I I, I don't really know how to put that type of thing into words. Um, no. I think there's – I'm obviously, as an Argentine, as a Koulet and a Barca fan for as long as I can remember, um, Messi's legacy is, weirdly enough, something that I, I take – to be like a very personal thing and something that I, I don't know, I feel like everybody always has to de- defend the legacies of the players they care most about. And this is like the type of thing that's so sensitive where there's always been so many comments about the fact that like him never having won something like that would have excluded him from some sort of, you know, legendary status or kept him outside of just the, the, the pinnacle And I don't think it's ever been true and people will argue if that is the case or not, but now the best thing about it is that it's not even in the conversation anymore. It's just been eliminated from the, from the discourse. And so, and for him to have done it in this fashion and, you know, there's going to be, I have all my Real Madrid fan friends, like, you know, chirping in the background saying, oh, you know, obviously he needed to be carried in the final it's like, it does, whatever performance he had or didn't have, it doesn't matter. It's, I mean, he had yeah, players. Yeah, I, I don't are... what to talk about that,
1: actually. It's, it, it was really weird, um, you know, kind of with this idea of legacy and, like, how this, I mean, this will, for better or worse, this will change how Messi is viewed, probably his legacy. But, I mean, it's, it's a weird game to really change our perception of Messi because, I mean, I watched this game, too, and, you know, Messi's an incredible player, but, I mean, on that day, he was not that great. You know, he was, he was not one of the better players for Argentina. And what I think is really funny too, is, I mean, you mentioned the Real Madrid fans were kind of chirping at you about this. Um, But I mean, you remember Ronaldo when he won Mm -hmm. the international tournament with Portugal, he, he went off injured like 20 minutes into the game, you know? So it's, it's funny to me how this this is being like such a huge thing for both of these players over the course of their careers, or up until 2016 or whatever this was. This was just like the one thing that like they could hold over both of them that they hadn't done yet, and it was like, oh, who's gonna do it first? And now they both have it, but I mean, it just it was from a bad performance or a non-existent performance from each of them. But I mean, that's not something that's gonna get remembered 10, 15 years down the line. It's just gonna be another trophy in the cabinet and. It's strange how our kind of perception of legacy can be affected by these little moments like that.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, what you mentioned is interesting, right? Like Adair scoring that ridiculous goal for Portugal and Di Maria scoring a goal that you would never expect any Argentine attacker to score besides Messi, frankly, at this stage after so many years. Of... Well, if there's one
1: you'd expect, it, it probably would still be Di Maria. He's uh, He's been one of the better ones alongside Messi over the past decade, 15 years, however long it's been.
0: Well, I mean, and he's been stricken with injuries in these big finals year after year, too. So this is kind of like, I think, one of the first times in which he's been able to what in Spanish is called lucirse in a game like this, which means to... You know, to show himself, to 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 prove what he's worth, and and I'll tell you the the worst thing about this game, apart from you know the fact that Messi had the chance in like the 88th minute to put away this goal that yeah. he would have that would have just been like the, un, the unbelievable pinnacle of everything. That, that was off
1: a really good run by Depaul, right? Yeah. Who,
0: by the way, I mean unbelievable yeah, player, good. unbelievable player. So afraid of him at Atleti now, like partnering with coke and Simeone and. Um, even Saul, who we don't even know if he's going to move or not, but like what a midfield they have there. I mean, the the worst thing about the game though, with respect to Di Maria is that when that goal was scored, um, you know, I don't know if this is appropriate or not for the podcast, but I was actually in the midst of a bathroom break and I'll never forgive myself for that. (laughs) And I I would watch the entire game except for the five minute stretch in which we actually won the game. I was in the restroom and I was watching like the, cause I was in a bar in the middle of New York city. There was no server, There was no like reception or at least sufficient to watch anything on Fubo or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So I was watching like the updates, like the, 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 you know, the written updates. And I see on my phone, it was like, I don't know, 32nd minute, like goal Di Maria. And clearly the bar, nothing had happened yet. And I was like, is this real? Are you kidding me? I'm sitting there like, just like using the restroom, just like what the going on (laughs) and all of a sudden i start hearing people like you know the the crescendo in the VAR, the crescendo the crescendo and then finally like everybody just goes nuts and i'm like i am here this is like the best what should what should have been the one of the best moments of my you know soccer watching life and i'm sitting here on the toilet (laughs) i could not believe it i was just like this is so humbling and I have to sure. complain about that because that is something that I will live for, or I will live with forever. So anyway,
1: yeah.
0: well, maybe you'll forget that in 10, 15 years down the line. <laughs> I hope just, so. Uh, just be another game. But, um, yeah. but anyway, I mean like what's interesting, right. Is like given that backdrop and given what happened there, we've then had a summer of a lot of rumors and conversation and a lot of Fabrizio Romano. And yeah. uh, now today, uh, it's been basically made like completely stamped, signed, sealed, delivered that Messi is going to be at the Parc de Prince next year. And so that Not is for that the we French will... national team for PSG. correct? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that is going to be kind of part of what we talked about. But before we get onto those things, um, personal updates, Will, besides golf, what what have you been up to? Oh, man, it's uh, it's been
1: a kind of a crazy summer for me. Yeah. Uh... With, with my jobs, uh, I've, I've talked about this before, I think, but I coach two teams uh, in town. I coach one uh, team connected to a school and one club team. And over the past few weeks, uh, I got a, a good promotion at one of those jobs, which is really nice, but I also got fired from the other one um, <laughs> in a pretty uh, ugly, kind of drawn-out saga. That uh, I, I won't get too much into the details into here, but it was... It was a pretty bad situation on the whole. Definitely, uh, took took some of the enjoyment out of soccer for me for the past few weeks, and it's been, I don't know, it's it's been tough to get back into it. It's been a bit slow, but I feel like I am back now. I've got a uh, my season with this other team coming up. It's helped to have these games kind of that I can actually watch and be interested again, instead of like, you know, debating whether it's worth it to get up to watch an Olympic game at three in the morning or something like that. When it's usually probably not. So it's been it's been good having the. Champions League qualification back. League on, started up already. And uh, yeah, Liverpool, Premier League, all this weekend. Really excited for that.
0: Hmm. With respect to your new team, uh, I know that you had tryouts recently and you're able to select a nice crop of players. What are you excited about with the new group? Um, It's it's just a good chance. It's,
1: it's a lot of talent. Um, I would say this is you know probably a more selected, kind of high-quality group on the whole than what I got with my other job. And... It'll be good I, i'm just really excited to have you know these are all kids that should be like actually very and very committed to this and not just like signed up to play with their friends these will all be people who are serious about soccer um the club has a pretty heavy focus on tactics and that sort of thing which is uh kind of in my wheelhouse so i'm excited to get to work on that again it's just it'll be fun it's i think it's going to be a good group i'm excited for a, a different challenge. I think this will be a very different experience to what I've kind of had over the past few years. So I'm excited to be moving on and uh, trying something new.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. I think it'll be a good opportunity for you. Um, so. I think the one thing that maybe we've neglected to talk about, and I'm sure you have plenty to say, uh, the Euros. Thoughts yeah. on that, how that ended. And I mean, obviously, c- come on, guys, like there's so many storylines that we could dive into. I-, I don't even know where we might start. We consider doing an episode in our little like lull period on uh sweden specifically i mean sweden yeah. was something that existed for even just a, a round or two but so many other teams that we could have we could have talked about the czech republic we could have denmark, talked I sure. mean, we could that, talk about denmark
1: it was a uh, pretty pretty interesting
0: we could have talked about hungary i mean there were so many things that yeah. we that we could have discussed um but ultimately at the end of the tournament i don't know what are your feelings how what are your thoughts on the final outcome. I know you think that Raheem Sterling should have won player of the tournament. So maybe uh, we can start with that. Um, that's,
1: that's your opinion. Actually, Martin. I think Sterling, <laughs> Sterling was good. You know, he, he was arguably the best English player, but I don't know. I mean, he, he got all the goals in the crucial moments. He was great. They wouldn't have made it nearly as far without him, but I, I just, I wouldn't call his overall play good enough to be player of the tournament. Probably for this um, in general, I'm happy. I really like this Italy team. Um, I, I, from the first week, actually we watched that game together. I said they would probably win. You remember that against Turkey? Mm-hmm. I do. And, uh, I was right. You know, they were just, they were a bit more solid than everyone else. I think England's, uh, scoring the goal that early on into the game was probably not a good thing for them. Kind of left them nowhere to go. And, uh, it's, they just they played too defensively after that and against a team with the talent of Italy with a player like Chiesa who's just going to be running at your defenders you know eventually he's going to get it right eventually he's going to get something and you know 88 minutes that's a very long time to defend against a team that good maybe if they had scored a bit later on then it would have suited them better but yeah it was it was a good euros on the whole i think uh A lot of very unpredictable results. I think, uh, like we were mentioning, kind of that right side of the bracket with Denmark, uh, Czech Republic, Ukraine, and then England, who eventually made it out, was just, you know, teams you don't normally see that far into a stage of this competition, especially it feels like in the past few years. So that was interesting.
0: I thought it was an interesting departure from what I think, at times, tends to be a very predictable kind of international tournament. uh, Like unraveling process. I think that in, in the past, if you look back at like 2010, I remember I, I did like a, with my club team when I was back at like, I don't know, like you third twelves, you something like that. Mm-hmm. I did a, I did like a bracket and I put Spain and Netherlands in the final and that Spain was going to win. And I wanted fake Jabulani. And That's like, really cool. but it's the type of thing where it was like, at that time, those were the two best teams and everybody knew they were going to make it to the final. And they did. And here it's almost like this tournament felt a lot more like um like the American NCAA March Madness I feel where in sure. March Madness yeah. there's all these you know there's a one there's four one seeds from these different areas in the United States and then you have the two seeds and it goes all the way down to the 16s and there's like a playoff with like the 13th seed and the whatever there's always these, all these teams that range from you know schools that you've heard of to schools that you've never heard of and then you have all sorts of upsets. You have a 16 seed that goes to the final 4 or something and like all these crazy things happen. And I feel like with soccer it tends to be uh there tends to be less room for that. And and in this tournament um the the having like the team that was expected to get squashed in the group of death actually do quite well was fascinating. And having a team like Turkey that I thought were going to be a super dark horse be so awful was mm-hmm. amazing to watch and like have the Netherlands surprised people initially by doing well, and then remind everybody precisely why that everyone was so worried. And having yeah. France bottom out against Switzerland after going up three one, like and that Pogba goal and all the controversy about him dancing for thirty five minutes as the celebration. Like there were so many little bits and pieces. Was, and there like, a lot of controversy about that. I think there were a lot of people that were like, he really danced for a long time. I
1: thought that was just like, uh, Adrian Rabio's mother or something. I didn't realize other people were also, that's true.
0: Um, well, you know what they say? Adrian Rabio's mother is, is like the spokesperson for the entire population. Everything she says is just representative of what everyone thinks. So she's she's definitely got her finger on the pulse of the football community. That's for sure. (laughs) I mean, Rabio's mother as a whole, maybe we should have an episode on just like how to not allow your parents to be too involved in your football career. But what I will say is that I just think that there were so many. I mean, I was glad to have Italy and England in the final. Like, yeah. those were two teams that haven't been in a final in a while, especially England. And you can, there's all these different conversations about the penalty kicks and the psychology of who was selected for them, and then all yeah. of the ugliness that came after that. But fundamentally, apart from all of that conversation, which needs to be a podcast, into unto itself and we don't we won't be able to ever do it now because we're so far past it the fact of the matter is they got to a final playing good football with some really good players from teams all throughout the Premier League because you had Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice starting at the sixes that were practically the first teams on the team sheet you had Pickford and Goal being kind of a cuckoo brain for half the time he was out there but also really excellent and saving a Jorginho penalty from Everton you had all these players from different teams and it was like this is kind of cool. Like England's finally here and England definitely belongs here. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm happy to finally see them where they belong. Yeah. And
1: I, I wouldn't want to, you know, they, they lost the penalty shootout a lot worse than they lost the game. If that makes sense. Like these, these guys did well in the match. Like they, they played it to a tie and don't, don't let a a very bad, very mismatched penalty shootout kind of turn this into you know, it's not that big a difference, you know, like England easily could have still won this game the way they played. I don't think this is like time for like a referendum on Southgate and like his entire methodology. Like it works. England have had the best tournament performances at, you know, in a long, long time over the past international tournaments. And I think people, people who are upset about the way the penalties were handled, you know, it's justifiable Southgate really, really messed this up, but You know he he clearly understands like what this England team can be, what it should be, and he understands how to you know play winning tournament football, and you know that's a lot of good signs. And this team is just going to get better and better. You know, with the exception of like Kane, Maguire, Henderson, who didn't even really play, and this is a young young squad.
0: I mean, Maguire's got no decline coming before Qatar. I think Harry Kane has no decline coming before Qatar. Like, I I see this as like a just unanimous across the board success. I think Southgate has redeemed himself in the eyes of many people. I think honestly, I don't even take that much stock in the penalty kicks at the end of the day. Like I understand there are so many things that people can say about, you know, you can't bring on two players who are totally fresh to take PKs when it's this massive stage and they're young and they're stars and whatever but it's like rashford came out and said this too like this dude takes pks like every single day of his entire yeah. life in training nails all of you know that guy has like some of the best shooting out of anybody in the world and are are you gonna like i mean you're gonna put i mean i don't even remember at this point who was on the field and who wasn't are you gonna put sterling at the spot who's played the entire game the entire tournament over rashford probably like for me like i, I don't probably not like Rashford hit the post, you know, it wasn't yeah. saved. It was Close. the slimmest. It's the slimmest of margins. I think Saka and Sancho, you can say what you want, but I think there's a lot of psychology that comes into um, selecting those players. I think like Harry Maguire had an unbelievable penalty. You had Pickford yep. save a PK that he never should have in Jorginho's that just like they, those don't get no. saved apparently except for, It's it's a lottery,
1: man. A a penalty shootout. When it comes down to it, it's you know you can try and analyze it as much as you want, but you know
0: it's it's just chance.
1: you're Right? If if that Rashford shot is like an inch to the right, then we're talking about this completely differently. We're talking about Southgate completely differently. It's just
0: and it's like one of the best penalties in the entire tournament, right? Because it's picture perfect. I think it's difficult. I I don't know. I I would say like
1: the one thing I really did not understand, and then we we should move on from this and not make this a final review, but. What I really didn't get about this whole penalty thing was, um, like you mentioned, I mean, you can argue the merits of subbing on players specifically to take penalties, like you did with, uh, what was it, Rashford and... Who was the other one? Sancho? Sterling. Sterling.
0: No, who, who else got subbed on to take?
1: Oh, Bukayo Saka.
0: No, well, Sancho Saka came on. Saka was already
1: on because he got Saka, tugged yeah, down okay, by Keelani. So it was Rashford and Sancho that got subbed on. So, so what really confused me, though, when, when they got subbed on, is they got subbed on, I think, for Henderson and Walker... I want to say, which, you know, it was like with 10 minutes left in extra time. And this, this like completely unbalanced the team. Sure. They, they took off a, a, their center midfielder and a defender to put on two forwards, which, you know, was kind of understandable. But if, if the other forwards who were still, on were going to take a penalty. What really like confused me about this is Sterling didn't take a penalty. It's like, why on earth would they not have taken him off? And put one of the forwards in the forward positions instead of just like completely front loading the team and risking that in the last ten minutes. I mean, that, and we've had an entire really
0: episode. Bizarre. We've had an entire episode on that. That's the whole idea of frantic finales, man. That's they weren't, that but we've... they weren't playing
1: aggressive. They were playing defensively. They were playing for the shootout at that point. But they yeah, just it's took bizarre. Off their offensive players. That I I might never understand that decision. You know, it's, Southgate's going to have to
0: explain that one himself to me personally. I think, so. I think there's in any case a lot of. A lot of things to analyze from the tournament and we've certainly missed our chance with a lot of the nuanced things that unraveled as they did but i do want to maybe uh take this in the direction of what we had alluded to at the beginning which is this whole thing with messy that's happening right now um yeah and and i want to talk about actually a conversation that um came up between ourselves and a good friend of ours justin justin if you're listening to this hey shout Um, out justin (laughs) <laughs> we we have a group chat that we talk about all sorts of stupid things related to soccer and um, we had one recently that I thought was quite interesting that we you and I both we, we sent a message in the group saying like we should make this into an episode and then you were like yeah we should and then we yeah, started messaging privately yeah.
1: um,
0: but we were basically talking Justin is a massive Chelsea fan uh, big blues guy and we were talking about uh, well some background about Justin Justin <laughs> who I, I hope I'm sure won't mind us talking about him Justin has a. He's has probably this, not even
1: listening, man. I mean,
0: <laughs> he has this hilarious tendency to be entirely insatiable with club transfers with his team. Yeah. Um, because Chelsea, in case anybody is, you know, as Will, you would probably say, you know, completely slow or completely out of the loop on this. What? What? Chelsea. Why would has, I say that? You have said it recently. You say, <laughs> oh, in case you slow. Live, okay. Oh no, you said living under a rock. Okay, okay. in case anybody's been living under a rock. Here's the deal: Chelsea got a transfer ban a couple years ago, and then as soon as uh, everybody stopped looking at them, they went and spent 200 million on a bunch of unbelievably talented players, and then they won the Champions League. Okay, yeah. pretty good that's, strategy. Yeah. That's our that's our summary, right? And people are giving PSG a lot of crap for what they're doing right now. Anyway, well, what I'll it's, say. it's a bit different, but okay. <laughs> we we won't You're, get into all that right now. Here's what I'll say: regardless of this, right? They went out, they bought Ziyech, they bought Werner, they bought Havertz. Who else did they buy? They uh, bought Thiago Silva. Tiago Silva, they got the goalkeeper.
1: Mendy. Yeah, Mendy. I think those those were the six, six new starters. One season. Or, yeah. I guess didn't end up starting games, but he was he was expected
0: to. When they also, like Pulisic came in maybe the previous window. Um, uh, Port- Pulisic's
1: been there a bit longer, I think. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway,
0: I mean, anyway, our our USMNT people are gonna hash it out with me on Twitter for that later. But yeah. the fact of the matter is. They have they signed a bunch of players, and in response to all of this, Justin's kind of outlook was, you know, why not one more? And he basically, over the course of, like, well, a year, just <laughs> kept talking about, like, you know, you know, I feel like right now, you know, we're going to be in for Harry Kane, and if Harry Kane doesn't work out, then we'll have to get Lukaku, and if we don't get Lukaku, then, you know, actually, we should probably be trying to get Upamecano and maybe actually Kimmich. And just basically rattling off like all the best players in the world saying that like Chelsea needed more, Chelsea needed more anyway. He's a
1: a kid in the candy shop. just,
0: (laughs) and I'm going to, I'm saying this tongue in cheek, right. But, but we had this conversation most recently and it came up and he was talking about Chelsea's striker situation. So people that are super, you know, you know, watch Fabrizio's Twitch channel will know that Lukaku is probably going to be going there. Or again, if you've been living anywhere, but under a rock, um, and Romelu Lukaku is like a this player that has bounced around the world a couple of times now and is yeah. in become incredibly good. But I think the the thing for him right now is like redeeming his legacy, redeeming what he was in the Premier League. And so I think his <sighs> his head has been turned by Chelsea because of the difficulties he may have had at Man United and how I don't know. Did you know, he
1: did he have difficulties at Man United? I feel I'm like, not sure feel how, like how he, much. I'm not sure how really? much
0: redemption Lukaku has to do.
1: He was good. I, I felt, I mean, i mean,
0: was he ever considered like the one of the premier strikers in the world while at Man United? No. no, was no this, he was considered he was this physically dominant guy that comes with all these racial stereotypes of like what he looks like and that he had no touch, that he had no refined passing yeah. ability. And now all, at inter, all you can tell, not true, no, that's not true at all. Um, but I think I think his coming back to Chelsea, this homecoming, is going to I think in his eyes probably give him the chance to. I mean, he's going to be competing to be the best striker in the league. He's going to be fighting against Harry yeah. Kane, Jamie Vardy. Like, I mean, I can't, can you even say Aubameyang anymore? Probably not. And like,
1: probably not after the season he's had. But yeah, I mean, Lukaku, I would say probably top five in the world right now as a striker.
0: But in order to cement that legacy. I think he's got to do it in the Premier League right now because the last taste of him, just like Di Maria's legacy has been tainted by his time at Man United and Alexis Sanchez's has been tainted. Uh, he's okay. kind of got to go back to the PL and just prove once and for all that even though he was really good at Everton and also West Brom, right? Early on in his career. Like- um, Yeah. West Brom. He. I mean, okay. I want to, I
1: want to, I, I just looked at the stats and they, they back up what I thought, which you know, it's it's not fair to compare Lukaku to like Di Maria or who was the other one, uh, Alexis Sanchez. He he was miles better than them. I mean, he's Memphis he's Depay, better, much better. I mean, Lukaku. I, I'm remembering now the criticism of him when he was at United. Is he he was a consistent goal scorer. He got 16 goals in his first season, 12 in his second, where he dealt with a couple injuries. But he he never scored against the big clubs. Like I think there's a stat that was okay. bouncing around that like you know he had played 12 games in a row against the top 16 without scoring. So he was he was yeah. seen. He was seen as like a flat track bully type of player who who you know would probably do quite well in league on but maybe wasn't wasn't one of the very top strikers in the Premier League.
0: So effectively that's the story that he's looking yeah. to rewrite right now I think and I think we will see that. Like Chelsea is yeah. a team that is going to be putting him in situations where he can disrupt those top clubs. But now, yeah, the, the I, reason I,
1: he does have redemption to do, I'm just trying to set him apart, because compared to like, like a Kevin De Bruyne or a Salah or the other players you mentioned, like he, he was much better in his initial spell in the Premier League than any of
0: those. But I, hmm. I see what you're saying. Sure. I mean... The thing that's interesting to me, right, is apart from this, this has all emerged in the last, like, say, week, right? This conversation with Justin went down a couple weeks ago. And what we were talking about was you know, he was saying, like, oh, we're we we got to get Holland now. And I was telling him, No, like, come on, Holland's gotta go to Barca, even though that's an entirely separate conversation, and maybe we'll talk about that more later. I'm a big Holland fan for anybody that's read the blog. I mean, but he kept he kept talking about these strikers, and I I was I was looking at him, I was like, listen, Justin, like Give me the the profile that you're looking for. Give me the description of player that you want because you've got this guy in Werner, who's like absolutely unbelievable player, who's performed like underperformed terribly this year in terms of his actual end product, but has all the makings of being exactly the type of guy that you guys like with playing a a five-back and doing all this counter-attacking stuff. And maybe he doesn't have the focal point striker to play off of. And now with with Lukaku, he does. But you know, you've got Werner. You you had uh Giroud you you kind of have Havertz you had I mean Bachuai, you had Loic Remy you had all these guys that you plugged into that system and just like none of them worked and so I was like what do you actually want and she so was like okay well you know if I have to think about like what again and Justin don't kill me for this I'm paraphrasing but he basically he was like if I had to explain like what I'm looking for okay so let's like you know it has to be physically dominant Has to be like a tall striker that can hold his own, and the PL has to be one that like hold up play is a huge thing. Has to be clinical, like very very good with headers, Um, and and he basically went on to describe this profile of player that I just sat there listening. I thought to myself, Justin, you know, you're. Let's just be honest here. You're describing Drogba, and. And, and we went back and forth a little bit, but I was like, you're describing Drogba. Like what you want right now, what you're saying that you need. And when you have players like Werner at your disposal is you just want Drogba back. And, and so we got in this whole conversation and this is what I think what this episode is kind of about, about this, what I have kind of perceived to be when 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 some players of, well, let's say, some fans of massive clubs that have have historic players, i.e. Leo Messi, i.e. Didier Drogba, yeah. who have proven to be emblematic for that club and have done special things and brought glory to that club. When their time passes and teams are looking for the next thing, they have. there is a bit of a tendency not to look for the next thing, but to look for the next same version of what they had. And, and what I mean by that is like there's this whole thing where even given all of these fantastic players, Justin, as a perhaps rep- somewhat representative Chelsea fan, was still clamoring for that Drogba regen, is like what it's, I don't know, called in, when we talk in FIFA terms, right? Like yeah. a player that basically is the regeneration of a past icon. And this permeates a lot of different things. There's always going to be comparisons between goats. There's always going to be people that are saying, talking about, you know, whether there'll ever be no, another Jordan, or whether LeBron in our current era will compare to him, and how those things stack up, there's always going to be people talking about. You know, Pedri has emerged from Barca this year, and everybody nonstop is just like, "Oh, it's the next Iniesta." Yeah. And if you watch Pedri, he doesn't play like Iniesta. He has similar attributes to Iniesta, but there's this incessant need to just compare, compare, compare to look for the next Messi. We had Boyan Krkic. We had <laughs> Munir, we had Carlos Perez, we had, I don't even, I mean, Malcolm. You had Alan Halilovic, you had Trincao. All these young wingers and attacking players come into Barca for moments, be compared to players of the past and and people looking for the next Messi, the next Messi. And what ended up happening? None of them, none of them have panned out. And so what I, what I, I kind of want to talk about today is just like this phenomenon of... People not looking for the next thing, but looking for the next region and trying to find the player that will remind them of the nostalgic era that they once found to be so euphoric, and whether that's a productive thing to do or if it's actually really detrimental.
1: Yeah, and it makes sense. You know, nostalgia is a very powerful thing, mm-hmm. and you know. I mean, this, this isn't even the case right now with Chelsea because they're doing well. But, I mean, if a club's not doing well, I mean, you're going to think back to the old days, 10 years ago, the player you had then that brought you a lot of success, and say, okay, this is what we need now. And it, it makes sense. I think uh, Chelsea is a really interesting example because, you know, I, I think this kind of thinking isn't good in general. You know, I, I think, I think it's, it's really tough to kind of find those regen players. And like you said, I mean, w- with a player like Messi, is that even a possible thing to do? I mean, everyone in the world, not just Barcelona, has been looking for the next Messi for, for the last 15 years, and they haven't found him.
0: Certainly all the YouTube compilations have.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, there, there might not ever be another Messi. There might be another Messi in 50 years, right? But, I mean, Barcelona should not be looking to go, okay, let's replace this guy with one player. That's, that's not a possible thing to do. Um, but, you know, with Chelsea... I think we can kind of see that there might be some value to this because when we look at Drogba, you know, I mean, he was incredible. He was you know, probably one of the best strikers in the world pretty much his entire career with Chelsea. He was just consistently 20 goals a season around there, always performed in big matches. And, you know, that's kind of a rarity for Chelsea because they have had a lot of very kind of underperforming strikers over the past two decades. And, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. You can say Falcao, Shevchenko, Crespo, uh, Torres, Morata. I'm, I'm sure there's more. Werner even, you know, probably underperformed during his first season compared to what was expected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these these are all fantastic players, but they're all players that don't fit this mold of what Drogba was, right? So I, I can see how someone would look at that and say, okay, this this might not be what we need. It doesn't matter that these guys are a great player. It doesn't matter that Werner is a great player, that Havertz is a great player. You know, we've tried this before, no matter how good they are. Alexander Pato, that's another one I was thinking about. Um, You know, it's just, it doesn't affect it. And the one other truly elite striker Chelsea have had in this time is Diego Costa, who's a player that is closer to any of the other ones I've mentioned of actually fitting that Drogba mold. You know, so maybe this does
0: work. Maybe there's something to it. So the question I have from that, though, is... Let's say hypothetically the way that Chelsea have been run, like there is solely, there's only this type of specific player that can work. And like when Lukaku comes back, maybe he'll be able to fit that because he's perhaps more similar to that type of player. Uh, Holland might be a player that could emulate that in some capacity. It, is this a thing that we should let happen? Like we're talking about all these players that are, that are unbelievably talented that have come in and out of that team that haven't worked. We're talking about iconic players like Falcao, oh. like Torres, Here's my question. Isn't that more a fault of the club for not adapting their, be it their tactics or their methodology or their philosophy to accept the fact that something was in fact spatial temporal and that it occurred in a specific era and that once you've departed from it and some things haven't worked to, instead of the line of logic being, Oh, well, we have to go back to the thing that did work at a time. Like, ages and ages ago, but instead we have the tools to do something different. Can we change our system to embody something that will allow that new player to succeed? How many failures do you have to have before the realization is we're doing something wrong instead of we are signing the wrong mold of player?
1: Well, it's hard to say. And, you know, Chelsea have looked very, very different when all of these players have been here and they've, they've had loads of different managers. They've played loads of different styles. And for some reason, none of them have worked. And it, it, it's hard to identify. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe, you know, like you said, these are just two temporal moments. You know, in the, in the 2000s, Drogba was a perfect fit. And in the, you know, mid-2010s, Costa was a perfect fit. And that was just chance. It wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that we're going to need to get this same type of player in again. Maybe... You know, maybe those were just the two times and it's lucky, but it doesn't—it doesn't quite seem like that to me. I don't—I I think there's something here with kind of you know players fitting in. It's like the identity of the club, and you know maybe maybe it's hard now. Like if, if you see a signer like Werner who signs, he looks at the players who have kind of fit similar molds to him before at Chelsea and says, "Okay, well this this hasn't worked in the past. Maybe I should be a little bit worried. That this isn't gonna work out for me here either." You know, and, and as more and more people kind of follow that path, I mean, could that be something that players are thinking about when they're coming into the club? I mean,
0: so let's, let's kind of switch gears and let me ask you about a different premier league team that has like a very, very, I think clear identity right now in <laughs> Burnley. Burnley okay. is a team that like, we all know exactly what Burnley does. And we, it's basically like they, they get a big Kevlar vest and they put it around their half of the field and they just let, a firing squad shoot into it and they block all the bullets. That's what Burnley really does. Okay. Here's a question. When it comes to this sort of like stylistic imprint, do we expect or should we expect Burnley to just keep doing that same thing from here for the next decade, the next two decades? And will we be happy with that? Or should the club be allowed or be encouraged or forced to go through some sort of transformation. Like I know there are clubs and I have obviously as a Barcelona fan, I mean, Barca has one of the most, I think like just like there are people that, that side more with the Barcelona philosophy, the Barcelona DNA, all these things than they do with the club in and of itself. They care more about the way that the football has played over the past, you know, however many decades that has permeated almost anything else. But my question yeah. is like for Chelsea, They've changed all their their styles a little bit because they've had so many different managerial appointments and this and this and this. But like, don't you think that with the system they have right now, they won the Champions League? Isn't that a winning formula? Why now revert back to something different? Why why try to get the success that you had with Drogba when you've had success this year in a different way? And maybe that's actually a good thing that you've evolved and and changed with the times. Like for a team, again, like for a team like Burnley, that's like, you know, they've managed to get 16th place for a couple of years, right? Like, and survive the drop. And they're just like consistently staying in the league. And I'm, I know that I've heard like interviews, Burnley fans, or people have been like, are you enjoying this? Just per, just per staving off relegation, like the Sean Dyche ball. And they're like, it changed. It depends on, you know, what you enjoy, what you appreciate. You have a team like Atletico that's doing basically Dyche ball, but to a much higher level, to a higher standard, with maybe better players littered in. But it's like, should Atleti be who they are for the next 10, 20, 30 years? Should Chelsea just continue to return back to this anchor point that was the Drogba era? Or can we be happy with where they've become, like what they've become and, and how they've evolved? Yeah, I
1: think it's it's a complicated thing. You know, the, There's kind of... Two parts of, like, two, two, like, I guess, branches of this evolution that I want to separate this into. So, one is, you know, kind of like on the field stuff, like the actual tactics, like the the way a team plays year to year. You know, this would be something that like a change in formation, bring in a new striker would fall into. And the other one's kind of like the overall identity of the club. You know, this is what we're talking about with Burnley, with like an Atletico Madrid, a Barcelona, just having kind of this style that, you know, even if you have different formations, different players kind of permeates throughout the years. And you can point this and say, okay, this is, this is like what this club does for the most part. And, you know, I I think there's a lot of value to having that. You know, we've talked before about kind of how football has become maybe a bit uh, commercialized and it's lost a bit of the character. So I really like, you know, that a team like Burnley, you know, even if I don't agree with their identity, like has a real identity and actually feels like it's, you know, more than just like 11 random people wearing a shirt, right? But, I mean, I, I don't, I think you can try to preserve that But I don't think you should try and just stick with the exact same system of playing the exact same way. And that's kind of, you know, that's why I like this Chelsea move, because it would be easy to say, okay, we've got a winning formula with last year. We've got all these players that are very young that are just going to get better next season. Let's just stick with that and ride it out. But they're they're not
0: doing that. They're trying to mix it up immediately. And I mean, and that's maybe maybe a challenge. Maybe because, as a as a Liverpool fan, that's something you can speak to, right? Because you have seen firsthand what happens when a team experiences immediate rap—well, not immediate, but like rapid success, unprecedented success—in across multiple fronts. And you, you and I have talked about the fact that you've maybe been a little frustrated with the complacency coming out of Liverpool recently. Maybe absolutely. that's something and that this, you feel strongly.
1: I mean, this is kind of what has shaped my opinion on this, is because I I think this. You know, you need to progress. You know, no matter how good players are, no matter how good a system is, no matter how good the manager is, if you keep on doing the same thing every year, people are eventually going to figure it out. Right? You need to evolve to be able to do this. And the guy who understood this, I mean, more than anyone else, I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson. As much as I, you know, hate that he got United back to being above Liverpool or whatever, I mean, he's one of the greatest managers of all time. No one else has even come close to matching his longevity and success. And the way he did this is, you know, he kept like the core identity of the club that i was talking about you know under ferguson united were always going to play sort of a quasi 4-4-2 formation that was built around a very solid compact defense uh, very attacking wingers and a solid strike partnership you know you look at any of his teams you'll find those things but you know he never tried to just keep the exact same system and just replace players over and over again when when they sold beckham to real madrid they did not go and like buy Mark Albrighton and try to make him into the next Beckham. They went with Ronaldo, who's a completely different player and they changed the way the team played, but it worked. You know, he
0: adapted that. But it was still United at the core. So, I, it seems I, I, to me like you're arguing in some capacity in favor of a departure from what I think some what Chelsea is kind of doing because Chelsea is reaching a point right where they're kind of trying to go back to their roots and you're saying yeah. that Man United actually found a lot of success in evolving the yeah. roles individually, but kind of maintaining the same ethos yeah, and kind like... of creating all these permutations of their form and the way that they, you know, the the way they looked, but the function was similar in some kind. Yeah, that's that's how I put. I mean, man, I. Um...
1: I'm just trying to remember how I was going to put this. Uh, maybe come back to me in a minute. I'll think about it.
0: Well, here's what I'll say. We we had had a conversation recently about um, who Liverpool needs to offload, uh, and I had asked you. You you have some strong opinions about the front line. I know that you've been a fan yeah. of those players for a long time, but that there have been, you know, there's perhaps been a need for, or let's say there's been a train that's maybe been missed for having one of those players exit at a good time financially and so forth, or even in a, from a sporting standpoint. It, it's one of the possible. things that yeah. Well, one of the things that I've asked you about very distinctly is like, okay, to me, Firmino seems as though he's perhaps dropped off in a, in a sense, and he's never been like one of the... I know at times he was acclaimed as being one of the best strikers in the world. I don't think he's ever been one of the best strikers in the world. I think he was a very niche player. I, there's maybe one year
1: where I would make that claim.
0: but Regardless you know, regardless yeah. of it, my my point is simply, for Liverpool... In a hypothetical game that everyone likes to play, which is, oh, who should you sign to replace X player? If Firmino were to go, are you looking for a player that, you know, oh, if we were to casually ask for the description, would just so happen to be really good at hold up play, have a black belt in karate, and yeah. have, you know, verniers in his mouth? Or are you looking for just a good striker? That can do something else, that can I play a different role. Do
1: something else. I mean, I this I, I said at the time, you know, like kind of my view on this is, you know, Liverpool, you know, have, have gotten worse in the attack over the past couple of years. And part of that is just because the players are getting older. You know, that's that's gonna happen to anyone. But part of it too is because you know, this this system, the way we play it has been figured out to some degree. And like I when I when I'm looking at replacement generation, like I could like point at players who who I think are similar. To what our current frontline have, you know, I could okay. like uh, you know, sala probably Timo Werner would be someone that I'd say could replicate a similar role for Mino. Alexander Isaac, I think, would be one of my top picks for kind of that deep lying, uh, more playmaking focused striker position. And uh, Mane, you know, there's there's a lot of players that you know I think of similar skill sets to Mane. I think Kiesa uh, is one that reminds me of him quite a bit, actually. But, you know, I mean, we could look at that, but if, if I want just to replicate this, then, you know, it will have, you know, maybe we'll have the same strengths as this current front line did, but it also will have the same weaknesses, right? And if a team has figured out how to effectively game plan against this, and this isn't going to change anything. And this is, you know, why I kind of like what Chelsea are doing, because... You know, I, I I agree that it's not good to just like want to go back to the roots all the time, but it is good to continue evolving. And I think right now for this Chelsea team, maybe those two are the same thing. Maybe getting this big physical striker up front who players like Werner and Pulisic are going to be able to play off of instead of being the main attacking threat themselves. I mean, that could be brilliant,
0: right? I mean, it, it sounds really exciting to me. I mean, so I think apart from all of this, one, one thing that I've definitely thought about to a certain extent, is the fact that I think when players, people are always looking for ways to describe things that are hard to describe. And I think that when we talk about players, just generally, it can be difficult to say, you know, exactly what a player embodies. And I think one of the things that is always easiest to do when words lack is to simply take one intangible and draw a parallel to another. And so I think that, for instance, I mean, we, we talk about FB ref, the percentile rankings all the time. It's our primitive way of describing some sort of statistical backing to the claims that we make here on the pod. FB Ref has this thing where it gives you some, via some sort of algorithm players that are similar to the one that you're looking up. And oftentimes you'll look at those things. you will be like, these players are not similar at all, but there's math behind it. Right. And there are other people that have done similar calculators and people love them because you look and you go in and you're like, Oh, look, there's, here's this random guy in league one that plays for, you know, like uh who is like actually really similar to Sadio Mane. That's cool. Maybe I'll go watch like a video and see what he's up to. Okay. So, so there's, there's ways in which that I think can facilitate discourse, right? We were talking the other day about a clip of Harvey Elliott in preseason where he did this magical dance and kind of like shot the ball with his body kind of fading away, kind of like Messi's goal against Napoli in the champions league during the year that was right before that preceded the 8-2, where he's like falling away from the ball towards the end line, but he shoots, wraps his foot around it. I maybe don't
1: know know that goal as well as you do.
0: Um, It hits the bar, right? Messi's goes in, but Harvey Elliott hits the bar. So, I mean, and maybe what your reaction here is actually indicative of exactly the problem, right? Like my words aren't enough to describe it. But what we did talk about was when I asked you about this, you were like, yeah, you know what? He reminded me a lot of Shakiri." And Shakiri's a player that's like on the market now, kind of looking to move. And Harvey Elliott might be a player that people are looking at and saying, you know, he kind of has had time on the wing, but has also been converted a little bit more to like an interior player. Could play the 10, could play kind of like one of the two 10s operating in one of the half spaces. And so it was suddenly so much easier to talk about Harvey Elliott when we suddenly had this idea that, oh, well, he kind of has similar attributes to Shikiri. It just put it, yeah. it, it was well,
1: much it's, easier it's, to visualize. It's easy. and that's that's why this whole thing happens, you know? I mean, I, I think there is some element, some element to it of people, like, actually thinking, like, oh, this kid is actually the next Messi. But I, I think a lot of these comparisons are just because they're easy, right? If you want to get someone excited about Pedri quickly, call him the next Iniesta, right? It'll yeah. work. People will click on that. Right, even if it's not completely accurate, it's easier than saying, "Oh, Pedri is actually a very good young player with these, you know, slight but significant differences the way Iniesta plays." Like, you know, it's it's just it's quick, it's easy, it's a good way to make comparisons, especially with these younger players that you haven't seen a lot of. You know, it's a good way if you're trying to tell a friend about him, just take a first impression, and say, "Oh, he's like this guy that I already know," just so they have an idea.
0: Well, speaking of, I mean, one of the things that have been that has been going on recently, and and I mean, the reason that I segued with this, with Messi's departure, we've been looking for the new Messi, the next Messi, for the past maybe fifteen years, ever since he was like I don't know, twenty two years old and winning the Ballon d'Or, and right now, a player that's recently brought into the club that has suddenly drawn a ton of those comparisons is Yusuf Demir, this like eighteen year old, 18 year old Austrian winger who's come from Rapid Vienna. And he was intended to be purchased, well, it was a loan deal for the year to work with Barca B, the second team that's in the third division of Spain, Mm -hmm. and to play with them. And then next year, we would have an option to buy for 10 million, which for a player that's rated as highly as he is as a youngster is a total steal. But in preseason, he has looked ridiculously good, better than I think most people ever could have possibly expected. Yeah. And now suddenly he's like training with the first team. There's people murmurs saying that maybe he's climbed above the pecking order over. I mean, obviously, Trincao has been loaned out. Messi's been like Messi's gone. Some people are asking who's going to play there. I mean, some people are saying he's above the pecking order for a lot of very talented players. Alex Collado, who came from the B team, and he's like 22. Um, you know, I mean, Dembele, when he's not injured, is going to be competing for that spot. You've got Ansu Fati on the opposite side in theory, but a lot of people talking about him. And what's most unmistakable about all of this is not necessarily just like, oh, he's a good winger. He does good things. He retains the ball well, or he he shoots well, or he dribbles well. No, it's that he is unmistakably in his gait, in, his, in the cadence of his movements and his steps and his locomotion and his... His arm movements as he runs and passes opponents, he looks like Lionel Messi. He looks like Messi more than any other player that I've ever seen. And I know you say that, like you know, Coutinho is Messi-esque. Well, this he guy, he doesn't look is, like
1: Messi. He just he plays in kind of a similar way. I think this anyway. this
0: guy surpasses any sort of like like for like visual comparison to Messi than anyone else I've ever seen. And I have fallen into the trap of being like. Yeah, man, Demir looks like Messi. And yeah, that is it, such a problem. That is such a problem. But that's the thing. I think when I look at the way that Demir has performed in preseason compared to, let's say, Trinkao from last year, I was super high on Trinkao last year from preseason because he was doing things that I felt were I mean, we talked about this in the episode about talking about England's fullbacks, right? That whole conversation that was such a massive discussion before the tournament and look at Southgate and look what he ended up solving with all that, right? But we talked about this Trincao and Dembele thing where each of those players gave you two entirely different things in different settings and that mm-hmm. given how many different opponents you might see across club and league, well, not club, a uh, tournament and league competition, how you might be able to plug and play different players to kind of give you different things and how Dembele might be suited to certain environments, Trincao, others. Mm-hmm. Trincao in preseason showed some really promising things. He had like some good shots from distance. He had some really nice late runs, which every time we get the ball on the left-hand flank and pull it back via Jordi Alba or Ansu Fati or whoever was out there, bring it back to, say, Ricky Puge or now Gavi is the new guy everybody's talking about or Frankie, who will take the ball, let it come across their body, and then will chip a ball over the defensive line far post. That's, like, one of our classic moves. Trincao is like, nailing the timing of those runs. That's, like, vintage bread-and-butter Barca. Yeah. And so I saw that. I was like, this guy looks really good, really promising. But this year... I don't necessarily know that Demir has done that much more to show for himself, but what he has done is look way more like the player we are all desperate to find a replacement for than Trincao ever has and ever will. And And that's just interesting to me. So I think...
1: You know, I, I have not watched as much of Demir as you. I saw him in one game in the Joan Gamper trophy or whatever it was this week. Mm-hmm. He against Juventus. And, and he was good. You know, he was impressive. I, I see what you're saying. He seems like Messi. But I think, I and mean, what, what Barcelona have here is kind of a question of whether they need to change because they, they have two options, really. They can keep on playing the same style they have, you know, which which has you know Messi's role in this system which is a role that no one else is going to be able to completely fulfill right now. No one else is going to be able to plug into that in Barca's system and be as good as him. But maybe Demir is the closest they've got. And maybe, you know, even if other players, like a... a, Man, I just want to call that guy Rodrigo, but he's not... I'm Trincao. Yeah, Rodrigo's the Real Madrid... uh, Yeah, close. ...backup backup (laughs) winger who maybe isn't very good either. Um, Vinicius is worse. Just ask my Real Madrid fans. Yeah. (laughs) Um but you know, maybe Demir is the best fit for that role right now. And if Barca want to keep on playing the same way, and then what they should do for next season is just plug him in, let him start getting experience and let him start developing to that. But, you know, there's there's a lot of very good ways to play soccer, right? I don't think you could say there's a best system. And what the best system for your team is is often dictated by the players, you know, who are there. And Barca have some ridiculous players there. You know Players like Coutinho, like Dembele, who have been languishing on the bench, really, for the most part. So maybe the best version of Barcelona now is, is a version that just departs when they do. It says, OK, we don't have Messi. Let's not build a system that has a Messi role in it. Let's switch this up. And maybe Demir's then not in that starting eleven, even though he's the most similar to Messi. Maybe the best version of Barcelona is one that just moves away from him. One that tries to give a player like Griezmann, a player like Coutinho, who have maybe not been able to play alongside Messi... You know, a, a different role than they used to have, where they have a bit more room to shine. Because I think the quality's there. I think if you look at the players they have: Aguero, Depay, Griezmann, Dembele, Coutinho. Fati is coming back. Braithwaite, dear lord,
0: <laughs> almost forgot. <laughs> but, but the munch. Um, okay. But you see what I'm saying? Right? Hold on to that. Hold on to that thought. Um, this is not a halftime break. I, let's take a very, very short break. We're not. This yeah. is not the half. I maintain. This is a, this is a second half water break. Exactly. Let's oh, do nice. that. We'll um, come back and we'll dive right back into exactly what you just mentioned.
1: Okay. That sounds good. What's up, guys? And welcome back to the Touchline Theory Soccer Podcast. We're back from our water break. It's sweltering out here today. Heat <laughs> indexed. solid 102 here in central Illinois, so we really needed that. But we're back. Our throats are all uh, watered up, so let's go. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you, oh, you're really just, type, gonna, really just like, gonna let me flounder on that one. Huh, Those are the dude? type
0: of things that you just gotta leave a little bit of silence for everyone to really cherish and enjoy um, and be thankful that we had a couple of weeks that we weren't putting out episodes. But anyway, we're back from our like, whatever, two thirds break. Um, I wanna get right back into what we were talking about right before, which was this idea that, um, or this question rather, that you posed about like, there's a lot of things going on at Barça right now, but one question that I think everyone ought to be asking is: Does do we, does this thing that has been happening for so long need to keep happening? Um, and I think it's an excellent question. This idea that we've been doing things a certain way, but there's also a ton of talent that's also been floundering, and players that have come into the system and gone because they haven't fit a certain mold, haven't embodied a certain style of play. Um, and the question might be like: What is most important? Like, is is the is this ethos that the club carries something that is legitimate? Is it something that we should continue to bring along with us? Um, and, and it's something that I, I question and I ask all the time. And I've had conversations with, like, fellow Barca fan, like, people, analysts, writers on Twitter about, which is this idea that, let's take, for instance, the current coach in Ronald Koeman that a lot of people have issues with. I actually quite like Koeman. Um, I do, too. I I don't know. Mostly from his time
1: at the Netherlands, but I've liked generally some of the things he's done with Barcelona.
0: Yeah, I really liked him at his time with Everton, actually, when he did, you know, know, froze out, what was it, Umar Nyase? I don't remember who who it was. That guy from the team. Yeah, he made him Um, train with like the U 13s or something,
1: (laughs) took away his locker.
0: Good, oh my God! Good management. Um, um I think that people pick apart Ronald Koeman. He's easy to to villainize because he's like fat. Well, he's, he's you know also like kind of an too. Which sure, um, sure. I think a lot of top managers are in some sense.
1: Um, yeah, but more. He's maybe more publicly mean to his players than a lot of people have been. Because you know when when he got to, he's just, he's very blunt. Maybe it's a Dutch thing, but he just got there and told Suarez, "We don't need you." I, I can't imagine many other managers doing that.
0: Yeah. People really don't like the stark juxtaposition contrast. I think between him and Ricky Pooj too, That people really don't like him for what he's done with. Uh, Riquinho, and the fact that he's kind of like pushed him out and people think R- Ricky Pooj looks like a little boy. Who's always really happy and like loves soccer and all these different things. And then like, you know, Comins basically tells him like, you know, you're a useless <laughs> bag of dirt, but mm-hmm. I, Apart from all of this, right, I actually quite like Coleman. I think he's done something that very few people could have done. And I think this is kind of a conversation we had about Frank Lampard recently, which is that he took a he took a, a performance environment and needed to be the bad guy. We needed a coach to be the bad guy after having two coaches that were pretty soft-spoken maybe and a guy like Kike Setien who was tactically and philosophically probably pretty sound, but in terms of his ability to like corral the – I don't even know if corral is the right word, but just like – get his arms wrapped around the dressing room. He just couldn't do it. There were too many personalities in there that he couldn't kind of like um, reel in. And I think Komen is like the guy that is, the first guy that's been able to just walk in there and kind of like in spite of some of these things that we leak from the dressing room and like, you know, oh, he's so mean in this way. Like sometimes you need a little bit, just a little spray of that authoritarianism to just kind of like straighten things out a little bit. I don't know. You, You had this opinion with Chelsea.
1: Yeah, I, I was about to say, it's a little Frank Lampard influence, you know, someone that even if they're not the ideal manager you'd want for Barcelona style of play or Lampard was for what Chelsea were trying to do, they'll they'll get the dressing room in order, they'll stamp out some of that, and that can be a very valuable thing. Even if Komen doesn't end up, end up being successful, maybe he can change the culture it's something that's going to be easier for the next manager to deal with, which I think is kind of what happened at Chelsea with Lampard and Tuchel.
0: Yeah, Lampard stumbled so tu- Tuchel could sprint. One might say, and, and I think like one, one might Kuman yeah. <laughs> someone in a far off place who has a poor grasp yeah. of the English language might say that. Yeah. But like, I mean, I, I think Kuman is doing a specific thing. I- I'm not displeased with it. I think compared to the previous couple of managers before Luis Enrique, like obviously, I think he's. Done he he hasn't been able to get some of the accolades on the field, but I think he's done things that have been more compelling. Now, the conversation I've had with people about Komen that leave people, you know, with things to be desired is the fact that he kind of doesn't, in spite of being a former player, doesn't really embody the Barcelona style over the last decade or 15 no, years. Uh, probably not. And yeah. like he he went from taking a classic 433 that we've used for the past however many years and suddenly wanted to do a 3-5-2. And all these other different kind of adjustments that he's made that have been kind of received with a lot of backlash. And um, there's been like, there was a stretch of time where we did like a four, two, three, one. And then suddenly you had Busquets not as the single pivot, but as a double pivot. And then it wasn't working. And there were all these different concepts that were like tried that didn't float.
1: And he's trying things. That's good.
0: Oh, I agree. Yeah. I think that like the that sort of like tactical experimentation. It's tough when it's at like the creme de la creme clubs where the expectations are so high that everything has to be instant gratification and you don't really have much of a runway to experiment. But,
1: but. I think that's something that's kind of aided by having a player like Messi because you know in, in a sense he kind of gives you some of that freedom because like you're never going to be that bad.
0: Does he right? give you? Does he give you the freedom or does he give you a cop out at the end when everything has kind of been bad? And now you just have a guy that's a cheat code that can basically just wreak havoc on a team and say, well, in spite of our experimentation and our series of failures, we do have a guy that is supernatural and likely the best player of all time that can just pull wins out of his, you know, yeah. back
1: pocket. And that's probably be a question you wouldn't just be asking about Komen, but pretty much every manager Barcelona have had since so mm. he's been there, you know, it's like. It's it's kind of hard to judge, you know, when you have someone that good who's just going to elevate your team kind of regardless of what the tactical setup is or how bad things are with the rest of
0: the club, right? I mean, people yeah. people are joking right now that um Junior Furpo came out with a comment that he said that in his past his first 2 weeks with Leo with with Leo, with Leeds he's seen more like individual video analysis than he has in his entire time at Barca. And people are joking saying that like, well, of course, I mean, at Barca, the only video analysis they tell you, they give you is just, "Mm, well, when things go poorly, you know exactly who to pass it to. Like, and, and, and so I think that part of that maybe gives too much freedom or maybe too much forgiveness to managers who are trying things. But the question kind of comes back to this idea of like, okay, over the course of time, People are saying that Komen is a bad manager for one reason or another, but one of the transcendent ideas is that he doesn't embody like the Barca style. He does, for he has formations that depart from the norm. He isn't the type of guy that is going to really, I think, exude this. I've talked about in some capacity like super often, super often mangled uh, term that is juego de posición that everybody. Everybody has something to say about it, but very few people know what they're talking about. And I am not one that knows. I wrote an article about it. That's it. Oh. I, I think I have something. I had something to offer in written form. Um, that's it. I'm not saying that I understand it. I'm not saying I know how to coach it. Nor do I know how to create drills that that instill that mentality into players, that philosophy. But at the end of the day, people are just like going to say like, "Oh, well, Komen doesn't really play with." this positional play mentality, he, it's clear that he prefers guys like, he Moriba to Carlos Arena, who the latter certainly might be more of an embodiment of the way that a Barcelona six ought to play. Whereas the former is more of a dynamic, you know, physical specimen that has, brings more of like the, you know, the Wijnaldum role. There was never a Wynaldum role until Comen started asking for it. I mean, we've had Vidal, we've had Paulinho, but yeah. Komen is like specifically asking for a player that is not one of the players that we had when it was Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Fabregas in our midfield, yeah. right?
1: But and you the- now don't have the player that is Messi in your attack. So you, you're going to need to make those changes. And maybe, you know, maybe one of the reasons, you know, not, not to say that Messi is an inflexible player, but maybe it's possible that the reason these formations haven't looked as good is because, you know, the formation that's going to work best with Messi is the Barcelona 4-3-3. That's classic. Right? And maybe while he's there, it would have been tough to move away from that, because that would then would have lessened what you're getting out of Messi. And that's obviously like the thing you absolutely do not want to do. Right, that's number one priority. priority. You, you need to get the absolute most you can. So maybe, you know, he has his system that he's best in. Messi, I think, you yeah. know, he, he clearly understands how to play in a 4-3-3 very well. It's hard to say that he doesn't understand how to play in other systems, because we just haven't seen it very much. But that's what he's played pretty much his entire life with Argentina and Barcelona. Right? <laughs> So Yeah, I don't disagree with it. I so think maybe the... now, if Coman tries this kind of experimentation, there'll be more success because there's not like this guy that's going to be just miles better in this other formation. That's just going to, you know, he, what is best for him kind of becomes more important than what might be best for the players around him. I think that's why there hasn't been like such such a great effort. I mean, most other clubs, if they had bought Philippe Coutinho for 120, 130 mil or whatever it was would not have abandoned the project of trying to get him to fit in the team that quickly. I but think... because they had Messi, and he's already performing a lot of those duties, they could afford to just say, all right, we don't need
0: this. We're just going to let him on the bench. It feels so crazy to view Messi's like time at Barcelona as a double-edged sword. And I think that it's insulting to probably even insinuate it. But I do it, think that there are little ways in which... It has perhaps been detrimental to other players' development, or this and this and that. Now, yeah, what I will argue—I don't, I don't think
1: you could ever call the time a double-edged sword because of how successful it's been.
0: But I
1: do think that some of the things they leaned into that made them so successful over those years are going to make it more
0: difficult to move on from Messi now. Hmm. Right. I mean, so I, I mean, again, like right, like, like once more, like going back to the core question. Um, One thing that I've definitely seen is, like, I've been happy with some of the things that Coleman has done. Has he done everything correctly? No. Did he play Pedri, like, in every single game? Uh, Yes. He was 17. He has proven to be, I think now, the most promising young midfielder in the world. Hottest team in
1: the world, no question. I mean,
0: hottest team behind you, Will. But, I mean, the thing is, like, you've got... (laughs) He's done such he's done very good things in some capacities very poor things in others. The, the fact, you know, he lost two clasicos. That'll be a stain on his record from this past year, right? Stop laughing. You're, you're still laughing. One. Um, at one point you said that you had your final chance to be, you know, the U23 English player of the year. Uh, did you win it or no? I I did not. Okay. Well, oh. now you've got the Well Sterling
1: got me again.
0: Yeah, Welsh Welsh player, golf player of the year and hottest teenager of 2021. Let's see. I, people can't tell. I laugh silently. So everyone just
1: thinks Martin <laughs> isn't funny. <laughs> that's what
0: my dad told me when he listened to the podcast. He said, they, why are you, Why are you always laughing at Will and he never laughs at you? <laughs> I mean, to be fair,
1: like, I, I am definitely funnier than Martine too. That's that's also part yeah. of it. But yeah. That hottest teen joke, that was a banger. I've been, I've been <laughs> chuckling
0: about that one for a few seconds. All right. All right. That's enough. <laughs> It's, but my here's my point, okay? <laughs> here's my point. People are gonna just look at whatever Coman has done, and no matter what, they're just gonna be like, Yeah, but he wasn't Pep Guardiola.
1: Oh yeah. And,
0: and you're gonna look and you're gonna be like, Well, Luis Enrique for many, many reasons was a better coach than Coman, but people are gonna be like, Yeah, I mean Luis Enrique was like good because he basically was just like, you know, the reincarnation of Pep Guardiola in some sense. He's not the same and thing, he, but like he's done he had, really he well had the with a blueprint,
1: him. so he doesn't get as much credit. It's, it's
0: but, but but my bad. point is There's also this comparison across eras. This, like, again, this just need to just say, like, you know, oh, well, we have Timo Werner right now, but what we really should have is Didier Drogba's kid. Like, it's the same thing with coaches. You know, you see, I mean, I mean, Man United have been going through manager after manager. They had Van Gaal for a period, right? Like I mean, Moyes was at United it, 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 or what was he right? Or was he not? Yeah, yeah no, he was, was at- he was the
1: first. He was the first.
0: He was at United and like now he's doing really well for West Ham. Granted it's not Manchester United, but he's doing really well. I mean they've had a couple of different managers. they had Mourinho what on earth? Top managers. And it's just like always been like, well it's not Fergie. And now they have Oli Gunnar Solskar who's like I mean He's not Fergie. He's not Fergie and people are just are just will never ex- he's done well.
1: He's trying he's not trying to be. He's he's so different.
0: But yeah. he's like people are just yeah, that's what you they need. keep looking at him and they're like wow. Like I mean he's he's just weird. Like he's kind of soft spoken. He's always kind of making these weird little smiles. He's like yeah. not super tactically ambitious. You know, all these different things that are basically along the same lines of like well, he's not our greatest manager in history. Well, he's not like that's that's like that's that is the type of thing that is so detrimental about these comparisons people are saying oh you know our current manager isn't pep guardiola of course and that's okay and we can evolve we can move on from that people consistently asking you know why isn't barcelona embodying the positional play mental it's like have we ever paused for a single moment to ask ourselves is the methodology that worked in 20 between 2008 and 2012 the most historically successful team perhaps of ever and the most one of the most beautiful styles of football the world has ever seen that has graced this planet earth have we ever stopped to ask whether that was something that was beautiful that we could keep and admire in that specific time preserve that memory in amber and just look back on that fondly and not constantly try to Re re, rediscover the same magic because have we ever asked ourselves whether trying to replicate that actually mars it in some sense? This just constant need to be like, oh, we need to get back to the golden days. Why can't the golden days be the golden days without needing to recreate them?
1: I wouldn't say that it mars the golden days, but it can certainly mar the present days if you're always trying to do that. How so? uh, Well, it's it's not a process that works a lot of the time trying to find this. I mean. Like you said, at Barcelona, you know, as, as anyone who's, I think a few of the managers who've been there since Pep have probably tried to be the new Pep or tried to, you know, replicate what he's done. And none of them ended up being very successful with it, right? And they, they all spent a year or two there for the most part. And then they went generally with someone who was trying to do something similar until Komen kind of broke that mold finally. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if they, you know, no one's going to be the new Pep. And look who's, maybe, look,
0: But look who's up next on the docket, Will. Who's up next? xavi hernandez oh christ oh no okay i <sighs> mean that that guy is probably the closest thing we will ever in terms of ideology get to pep Guardiola. so here we are right in and this, this xavi hernandez phase. is also like having a you know not very
1: successful spell in the qatari league with this first club
0: isn't his qatar team like undefeated scoring players all the time they? I, maybe this—I swear—last season they didn't even do I very think, well. I think Al Sad is doing very well. Will I'll look it up. Um well, and, and as you do that, sure. Uh,
1: it's like maybe instead of you know giving these guys all a, a year and a half, two-year tryout before determining, okay, we were right—you were not Pep Guardiola. Maybe if they had stuck with someone like Coman for like ten years and allowed to build, you know there's no guarantee that that manager would have been good for 10 years, but maybe they could have tried to build something new, build a new identity instead of just, you know, saying, okay, well, this guy didn't get us the old thing. Let's try the next guy to get us the old thing back. If you're constantly searching for that I and mean, you're never going to find it. And like, at some point you have to move on.
0: So maybe this is a good spot for us to draw things to a close. Um, I think yeah. like in many episodes uh, our promise to the people that are listening is never that we are going to come up with some empirical answer, it is always that we are going to just talk and expose thoughts and ideas and perspectives and hopefully allow you guys to come to your own conclusions. I I don't think that I'm here today to say that uh, desperately praying and searching for the next region is a fallacy unto itself. But I will say that I think that that mentality can lead people down a rabbit hole that if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I do not know of a single case in history in which that approach has actually resulted in a success. I think if you look at Barcelona and the past players, the unbelievable players that have graced the field for Barcelona, you look at Diego Maradona, you look at Rivaldo, you look at Ronaldinho, you look at the at, at R9, at, at this wide host of players that every time they left, people were like, Ugh, I mean, who's going to be the next to them? Who's going to be the next mm-hmm. thing? Someone new did in fact come. And that new person was entirely different than their predecessor. Yeah. And the club has continued to evolve and continued. To, and now we had Messi, and Messi is now departing. And there's this question right now that people are discussing as to, okay, well, you know, who's that next big thing going to be? But my, I, yeah. It was never, I mean Messi was not the next Ronaldinho.
1: No, Neymar was the next Ronaldinho. But what Barcelona did is in between those eras, they they moved on. Or you know, and they were able to do that easier than they will be now because you know there was there was more overlap and Messi was there when Ronaldinho was. But, you know, if they had only been looking for the next Ronaldinho, then what would have they what would they have done in those years in between when he left and when they got Neymar? You know, they would they would have been floundering. Maybe they would have just been buying up people and uh having them not work after a year and selling them off again and you know it's it's easy to say that there will never be a new Messi but maybe there will be maybe in 10 years in 15 years there's going to be someone who's a lot like him and you know maybe he'll end up at Barcelona too but don't don't play with my
0: heart like that
1: it's probably gonna I mean Neymar did
0: as well Ronaldinho um I'm I'm a big fan of Neymar so I know you are too uh yeah maybe not
1: so much we'll we'll talk about psg for a second to end this but it's like
0: (laughs) i don't know will what's your you you,
1: you cannot find one player that's going to replace what messi does especially not this season you know with barcelona having no money it's it's just not going to happen but
0: let's not talk about messi the the the, this irreplaceable god of the sport let's talk about didier Drogba. let's talk about uh firmino let's talk about shakiri is that the approach that teams should take? Should they be looking for players? You know, and 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 I think maybe there's something to be said for the timing of it all. You know, this year specifically, like you had mentioned earlier, Messi left out of nowhere. No one expected this. Demir came to the club expecting he was going to play alongside his idol, and now he's not. And so for this year, maybe it's like, all right, we don't have the time to reconsider and rethink our tactical setup. Just plug and play. But for the future, right? Like, for instance, again, like the same sort of thing. If If you're... Liverpool and you're nearing the end of the window and you've gone through the entirety of preseason and Shaqiri is leaving. Maybe you're like, all right, Harvey Elliott kind of fits the same exact mold. He's going to stay with the team and not go out on another loan. Yeah. And but if, if, but if the, other, s- the high level transfer strategy apart from, Oh, crunch time scenarios when La Liga CVC deal rights and regulations mm-hmm. make it so that your best player in history cannot register and neither can The Argentine that came to play with him exclusively and is now out until November in Aguero. Like, apart from all of those anomalies, like, for Liverpool, who clearly doesn't have that much urgency to sell anybody in their front line, and now that they need a new striker, that we both, I think, agree that they probably could use a new striker. Are you looking for a guy that does hold-up play? Are you looking for a guy that is... All about setting up his teammates and doing these kind of creative flicks and this and that and like severely underperforms his XG? Or are you looking for something entirely different? It
1: depends on kind of what phase the team is in. I know that's that's kind of a cop-out answer, but the truth is, if you had asked me this question three years ago, you know, or or if you know, if you ask me it now with a team that was being a bit more successful, I'd say. If we sold Firmino, then the smart thing to do to maintain our style of play, when it was actually working, and when we were being very successful with it, may have the best thing to do would have been to look for that like-for-like like replacement, say, alright, let's find the new Firmino, we've got all these other ten players are just purring in the system, we just need to find this one piece to slot in next to them. But now, I wouldn't say that anymore. I'd, I'd say it's time to move on. You know, these, these things are cyclical, and I think that while there are advantages to to getting players who are easy replacements for each other and how that can make things a bit smoother. It, I, you cannot prioritize that over just kind of the natural progression of the, where your team is going and trying to fit players into roles they can't be good in. Because you know, if Barcelona, you know, I, again, I, I don't have very much assessment of Demir. I've, I've seen one game of his. But I, I think it would be just a huge mistake to look at him and say, okay, well, he's the next Messi so let's play him and keep on leaving Catinho and Dembele on the bench just because this kind of what is now an outdated idea that we need this one player who's better than everyone else to do everything for our team because now they don't have that anymore. It's it's time to move on.
0: We, we had a conversation recently about uh, Manchester City's uh, six and how we both think Rodri is pretty bad. I think that's an interesting example right. where where like Fernandinho has been a rock for them Fernandinho was kind of the guy that came after Yaya Toure in a sense, who was a very different player, but in some ways yeah, very, the very same, very of good. the same quality, I would say.
1: Sure. Um,
0: and, and like Rodri, well, Fernando came in before Rodri and Fernando was a calamity, but then it was, you know, Rodri. And I, I we, we, both agree that I, I don't really understand Rodri, Um but he is a six of an entirely different mold. And Fernandinho was a six of an entirely different mold. And like, if you look at Fernandinho in some sense replacing Yaya Toure, that was really successful, right? Yaya Toure left Barcelona early in his career because Busquets was the one that was favored in that system. And he went to City. Yeah. And so you have this lineage of like Busquets, who's a very, very specific type of six, to Yaya Toure, very specific type of six, or eight more like, to yeah. Fernandinho, totally different. And they're all—they've all been really successful, and and that's maybe a nice evolution of, or like string of kind of players that play the same position that occupy very very different like roles, um, who've all done really well and become some of the best sixes in the world, yeah. and. Maybe there's something to be said for that, right? Like Pep kind of has gone through all those players. He had, what, like Kimmich and Thiago and Chabi Alonso at Bayern? All different players, right? But they're all some of the best six in the world. And these are obviously different clubs and whatever. But, like, I mean, it seems like City has kind of viewed it through somewhat of that lens of, like, we can't have this nostalgia and try to find the next Yaya Toure. We're going to try this Fernandino guy who does something totally different. Yeah, and they changed
1: and- the system when this happens. You know, they, they switched up the shape of their midfield. And, you know, that's, that's Rodri's struggle too because he's he's being plugged directly into the system in the Fernandino role. He doesn't have the same qualities as Fernandino does.
0: And you look at David Silva's departure and people were asking, is Foden the guy that goes there? Foden doesn't really play the same David Silva role. He's a very different player. <laughs> people are talking about Grealish now, perhaps occupying yeah. the Silva role. And I, I see him some in in many ways... Being a player that could fit that spot, yeah, but is he bit. the is he the next David Silva?
1: No, He's the best player in that position this year was Gundogan. He was nothing like David Silva at all. Also correct. It's it's you know these these players are so good, you know, even though they're all different from each other. It's like this this quality, you know, if, if you shape a system around it, like it can come out, and you know, again, it's just like there's there's so many ways to play there's like you said there's so many molds of sixes that can be good and like if you have those world-class players then then you got to use them right you can't just look for someone that's going to do something else just because it was like a club legend right you can't be looking at Demir. it's like use Depay, use griezmann use coutinho and so those, those guys have things to offer
0: on that note before we maybe have our final thoughts on psg i will say shout out to justin Uh, Will here is claiming that you should relax and flip around that package that's coming your way with Romelu Lukaku in it. You should send it back to Milan, and you should look at Werner. You should look at Batshuayi, bring him back from loan. Uh, You should get Tammy Abram out there. You should get Armando Broia. uh, Pull him back from the loan that he just accepted with Southampton because you should play those players, man. You shouldn't be looking for the guy that is emblematic of the past. And
1: I agree Chelsea is a weird one. I, I don't think they should do it because it's linked to their past. I think it's actually a good move for them right now. I think Tuchel is trying to change his system going into the upcoming year. Lukaku would allow him to do that. Right? It's in the name of progress. It's not... And it coincides with going back. And Chelsea is a weird one, too. Because maybe... You know, we've talked about this. But maybe there is something more than this. How there is something where, like, certain players will just do better at certain clubs. How there is kind of this intrinsic idea. Where Chelsea... You know, a big physical striker is always going to do well there, and the smaller one is not. And I can't explain that, but maybe it's true. It certainly seems to be. If you look at the last 20 years.
0: Well, I at the end of the day, I'm honestly just busting your balls with that last comment. Um, But let's let's talk about Paris for five minutes. Let's let's just
1: yeah, we've we've looked at one side of this very extensively. But what about the team that's actually getting messy? Um, Um, They're going to win. Here's what
0: I'm going to say: They're going to win everything. That's it. I'm putting it out right there, right now.
1: That's there, that's the global consensus. Everyone agrees they're going to win everything.
0: There's but. no way they don't win Champions League. You can I, this is being recorded. Uh this is being immortalized. They will win the Champions League. That's it. I, I, there's there is not a way in which a team that lines up in what I would do, which again, I'm no one cares, but what I would do, which is Donnarumma juan bernat or you signed Teo hernandez whatever it's going to be or mitchell backer who everybody seems to hate but i'm actually very high on i think they then, sold
1: backer but yeah did yeah. they yeah
0: well i'm i'm an, i'm starting off like an idiot <laughs> at the very That's, beginning of this <laughs> is your third string, so okay good. sergio ramos marquinhos hakimi oh my god what a dynamite back line then you have um verati and wijnaldum Wijnaldum, who might be replaced by Pogba soon enough, or as I've mentioned to you, if they were to somehow go for Conte and get him, that would be an incredible situation. Anyway, there's a double pivot there. Above them is three. Neymar on the left, Messi in the middle, Di Maria on the right, and then you have Mbappe up top. You have Hakimi overlapping Di Maria, doing basically the Insigne Spinazzola move from the Euros that worked so well. Um, Oh my God, you have Idrissa Gay. Icardi, uh, my boy, Chavi Simmons, you have, uh, Navas, (laughs) you have, Leandro Paredes coming off the bench, Kim Pembe coming off the bench, Colin Dagba, the mini dynamite boy, like, it looks like he's five years old, but he's kind of fast. Like, all these players are coming, Diallo, who's very good, going off the bench. Um, I'm sorry, they're, they're not, not winning the Champions League. They, they have, they seems, are not not doing it it's going to happen it seems impossible that they won't
1: and that's just that's going to make it so much better when they somehow mess this up
0: and who do you think is going to take them down let's hear it it doesn't matter <laughs> it's it's hard to
1: say man like I, I
0: already know the answer to this though like sports, what is sports, your team
1: sports. that you think is going to beat them if i like it's it's hard to say you know so many things can happen over the course of the season i i'm not going to say i know who's going to win the champions league but I will say, I think there's teams out there that could stop them. I think yeah. if PSG and Chelsea played today... Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I might back Chelsea. Oh, if my God. God. I could I do, this... do a whole episode on the things I hate about PSG. But you know, <laughs> they've, they've managed to mess up seemingly impossible <clears throat> situations before. It's, it's never been a chance when oh, they're no. uh, up, up 4-0 against Barcelona to lose that
0: game, but they did it. You know? Yeah, but that, that was far, a different time. far
1: than Neymar, the the best front three in the modern era. They went. Oh one yeah, who's
0: who's gonna who's gonna do it now? Come on, who's gonna do it now? A front three of uh, Kamal and Sulemana, Jeremy Doku, and whoever the hell Rennes has up top.
1: I don't I don't care about the French league. They'll they'll steamroll the French league even more than normal. But I'm saying in the Champions League. It's like Barcelona with Messi, Suarez, and Neymar. They did not win the Champions League every year, even though their team looked ridiculous. And it was the same thing where you say, oh, it's impossible that these guys are going to lose. Like, no, they still lost. They they lost to, like, who did they even lose to?
0: Like, Atleti, Juventus, was Roma? here's Here's the thing, though, right? Paris lost in those, like, unbelievable circumstances with La Remontada, like sure but that's against the best strike force triad we've seen in the last decade sure what team has anything in any department across the field that's better than what PSG has it you could matter. argue that the only matter. team that has anything over them is like real madrid and liverpool have better left backs yeah but it doesn't it doesn't matter i mean it ha- games are not played on paper am i
1: going to say that if like even I'm not feeling the most optimistic about this Liverpool season, but if like if we get things right and if we look like even close to where we were a couple of years ago, in a one off game
0: or a two legged game, no chance can happen. No chance. Wynaldum's gonna Wijnaldum's gonna bag a, a brace against you guys and it'll be the worst moment ever. That would actually kill me. Uh, <laughs> I I get so frustrated
1: with Wynaldum like just being <laughs> physically unable to shoot for Liverpool when he's like the best goal scoring
0: midfielder in the world. Is another <laughs> you know, makes you know what's gonna actually. You know what's gonna happen is Brentford is gonna get top four this year, and Ivan Tony is going to bag a hat trick against PSG in the in the not round of sixteen next year and knock him out.
1: Maybe. All I'm saying is, you know, it's it's a crazy sport. Anything can happen. I watched. I'll, I'll finish this. I watched uh, the Rangers against Malmo. Oh man. In the Champions League qualifiers, and this just reminded me, like how random and arbitrary the results this game can be. Is I mean, for anyone who didn't watch these matches, which is probably most people. I know you all don't have as much time to watch random European qualifiers as I do. But um, like Malmo, the first match, they didn't play well. They had they had six shots on target across this entire thing, and they scored four goals, and they, they didn't really have any other shots besides that. And Rangers, you know, were, were dominant. They controlled possession in both games. But in the first game, they had a two-minute stretch, just mental collapse, just two easy goals let in, right? It, it was completely against the run of play. They got a late uh, consolation, and it was 2-1. It looked like they had a good chance. First half today, completely dominant. They scored a goal. Alfredo Morelos. Morelos scored a goal, and then right at the stroke of halftime. This is, this is a very bad decision, but one of the players from Malmo got sent off, mm. right? all the momentum's with them, right? It it looks like if you'd watched the first 45 minutes of this game, you would have bet your house that Rangers were going to come out and kill them in the second (laughs) half. Hope you did not They just did (laughs) it. The exact same thing happened. You know, they they dominated the run of play, but they just couldn't get a goal in. The problem problem is that four minutes, two goals, two little mistakes, right? And it's just all that, you know, across this game for – However many it was, uh, 174 minutes, Rangers were fantastic on top yeah, of a but, better team. But William, bad minutes. Ryan Kent is that's not it. Neymar Jr. He's not. And, you know, Virgil van Dyke is not Malmo center back, whose name I don't remember.
0: <laughs> innocent, I think, is the guy.
1: <laughs> Ironically. That's, that's, that's the guy who got sent off. And he was innocent. Um, so it wasn't you think ironic. so? He, Maybe... Absolutely. Maybe was, we can go back to our was, yellow card episode
0: and see if was, that red card was really worth it. It was absolutely absurd. I cannot believe he was sent off for that. Um, it was... Okay, so maybe maybe really what we're talking about here is that nothing on the field is actually like actually exists at all. It's all just karma.
1: No, it's like anything can happen.
0: <laughs> Man, <laughs> it's like this this game. If that's such you know, a wispy, you look, you look, you look, annoying you paper, thing to
1: say, you would watch most of it. It's like. You'd be dead certain the Rangers are going to win. They they lost four to two. and here's, no, here's what I'm going to say This is really arbitrary.
0: And here's my effort. final point because right. we we I've got to I'm, I'm traveling to Boston tomorrow morning from uh, yeah. Illinois and uh, I'm leaving at six a.m. and I'm not packed. It is nine p.m. now. So my last note. Um, my last note will simply be that I am certainly of the opinion that teams that look to be ball dominant and look to be the teams that win titles typically try to strive towards predeterminism and they try to find ways to control the game as much as possible because if you control something you can let that tide kind of flow in your favor and I think that PSG have done something unlike anything we've probably ever seen before in which they have gotten really really close to predeterminism and I think (laughs) <laughs> that never before have we seen a team that is going, I, I don't know if we will ever yeah. have seen odds like this. And I think it is going to have, obviously there's two ways it's going to go down one. They're going to win and everybody's going to be like, yep, no kidding. And the other is that it's going to be an utter calamity and it will be the history of the Paris. And <laughs> we will simply have learn. to wait and see.
1: That's the thing, man, soccer, you, you can't predetermine soccer. It's impossible. Right, anything can happen. It's a crazy sport. It, it makes no sense. Right, you got to embrace the chaos a little bit. And yeah. Anyone wrong. anyone who is dead certain that PSG are going to win every single game 7-0 next year? Whoa,
0: whoa, I didn't say that, wrong. though.
1: You know, embrace the chaos. <laughs>
0: oh like my! Something,
1: I, something I, crazy is going to happen. I'm not listen, talking to you, but there are people out there who think this. Okay, know. here's what I'll are say, though, right? Look at this lineup and say, this is impossible to stop.
0: Sure, even in the first game of their entire Ligue 1 season, Tois scored the first goal against them. Yeah. And then, and then yeah, but then Hakimi waltzed down the field and scored a volley and roofed it. I mean, like... Sure, but I, I mean, they're not going to, it's not going to be unblemished. There's going to be moments where they falter. There's going to be moments where they're in a, a knockout stage game and they go down in the first leg and everybody freaks out, but they're going to pull it through. And I know that because of yeah. one reason or another, I think they have the pieces they've been missing for years. I think they have two players in Ramos and Messi that are proven historic captain material winner mentality players that are going to just force them through. They have the best young goalkeeper in the world, the best young right back in the world. They have an industrious midfielder that they've been missing for years because let's be honest, Wijnaldum is better and different than Idrissa Gay. Yeah. And they have all this be- depth coming off the bench. They're going to do it. And that's, that's just it. Well, they're going, they're going to do it. And if anyone uh, who's now hopping on the PSG bandwagon, who wasn't a fan back when they had Ezekiel, my boy who has a tattoo of a pistol uh, in his waistband. (laughs) All I will say is you are in for a fun ride this year. Uh, A lot of people are going to look at you funny and have opinions about your fandom um, because this is going to be, I think this will be, you know, this was the team that most everybody was talking about when it came to plasticity in terms of fans. This will only augment and uh, increase exponentially now with the players that have been brought in but what I will say is for anybody out there that's saying this is piggish that what they're doing with financial fair play is absurd we can have that conversation another time what I will say is I will be watching them this season and I, really I cannot, I cannot wait to see what they produce because again it is just this storyline that it's like it's either going to be shockingly fantastic football or it's just going to utterly explode yeah. and, and I'm,
1: I'm expecting it to be incredible I'm expecting this PSG to play some of the best football I've ever seen but what I'm saying is like if you make a guarantee like they're going to win the Champions League just remember <laughs> that's, all, all it takes it takes one minute that's, that's
0: how it. you that's how you jinx it yeah I need a I need an Amazon documentary on this team right now yeah. we need to call up Jeff Bezos and yeah, we, tell him yeah. He's listen man
1: we, we can't yeah. reach him yeah <laughs>
0: Well, anyway, we've talked for a long time. It's been great, William. I'm glad that we've gotten back on the mics. Uh, to everyone, thanks for joining us again. Uh, yeah. This is episode 10, I think. Uh, is- yeah, it is. Wow. Which is crazy. So that's 10. Uh, we definitely thought we would have hit that milestone a couple weeks or months ago. But we're going at our own pace. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of things moving and shaking for both of us. Um, you switched jobs recently. I'm switching jobs right now. Um I'm. I'm. I'll, I'll say as a final note that I've been working for the last two months on a on a single piece. I've never done this for Touchline Theory, um, but I've been working on a one specific thing that I think is going to be the most detailed thing that I've ever produced. And I know I said that about the last one on juego de posición, but this is actually yeah. He's upping um, the ante. Yeah. This is upping the ante. Um, I let's just say that it is not done, and it's already a twenty one thousand word piece. It's super long, but it's very detailed. It's going to be released with a couple of special surprises that hopefully will get people excited um, and is very, 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 very in-depth. And so that's why you haven't seen new blog posts as of right now is because I've had my head down in the writing bunker working on this. But I'm hoping to wrap it up soon. I'll admit that a couple, like two weeks ago, I actually lost like 5,000 words of what I was writing Mm -hmm. um, with a miss save on WordPress that really hurt me. Um, It's for anybody who writes regularly, you will know or anybody who even writes, I don't know, emotional texts to their significant other and suddenly it gets deleted. Oh my God. That, that is horrible. It is horrible. 5,000 words is very, very difficult to rewrite and has taken me some time to compose myself in a way that can allow me to capture things in the same eloquence that I tried to do previously. So again, it's taken me some time. It's hopefully going to be wrapped up soon. It is a very special piece for me. Um, and I'm super excited for you all to see it. So, uh, any final words, Will? Uh, nope. I I guess I'll,
1: since you promote something, I'll promote my new mixtape out on SoundCloud. Uh... (laughs) Um, Entirely no. unsolicited. I I haven't really done anything. I don't have anything coming out. Don't worry about me. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> I'll make a tweet next week. Maybe we'll
0: see. Let's go. Yes. Um. So you guys can keep your eyes peeled for Will's upcoming tweet. Um. Yeah. It'll be about PSG for sure. Alrighty. It's the only thing I tweet about. So. What'd you call him last time? Petulant soccer guys. Petulant soccer guys. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> with that. Folks, till next time. Till next time.